0: To another very special episode of We Talk About Dead People, where we are honored to be interviewing another podcaster who is successful in his own right and is just like us because he's in the black sheep camp very firmly, which is where we all like to be and where we feel most comfortable. Um, I would like to welcome to the show Miguel Connor of the Aeon Bite podcast. And uh, it probably seems strange that we've had on Mark Steves and then. Another interesting black sheep type, but you know what? I feel the most comfortable with these kinds of people because they're not afraid to talk about what they're really thinking about and they're not afraid to get really deep. So if you're gonna get triggered or upset by information that might make you a touch uncomfortable, eh, this might not be the one for you. But we're here to enjoy ourselves, so on that note, hello Miguel.
1: Thanks for having me on. Ready to uh what do you mean by black sheep? Just a oh. traditional or Am I am I getting old already and I'm losing like the lingo of the next generation or?
0: I assure you, I sometimes delve into older, older phraseology now and then. We mean black sheep <laughs> in the
1: traditional The, the sense. traditional black <laughs> sheep, alright, alright.
0: Yeah, we we think a little differently for most people and I think that's why I was attracted to Aeon Byte to begin with because you are not afraid to go in all the different directions And it might seem strange that a history podcast is inviting on somebody who's might be in the more spiritual or philosophical realm but i've heard enough on your show where i'm like okay this guy at least knows his history very well um and he also has a different window into history and this is this is why we spoke with uh howdy mccoskey a little while back and it's why we're going to have him back on because he just has an interesting mind so uh miguel i'd love if we could just start with you plugging your show talking about what it is you do and maybe giving us like a quick bite of what we can expect
1: well uh is my uh well it used to be my uh superhero power and i had a clark Kent aspect but now i'm pretty much doing full-time podcasting but i'm the host of a on bite i call it gnostic radio or Radio, as i call it and it's uh basically what it is. It's a uh, topical show on all things Gnostic and Hermetic, ancient and modern. So it does deal with a lot of the history of early Christianity, uh, the esoteric parts of certain religions, uh, Judaism, Islam, uh, Zoroastrianism, but also how Gnosticism has influenced culture throughout time, uh, how it's manifested through Cathars, Kabbalists, Sufis, how it's manifested in... uh, Enlightenment thinkers, secret societies, and so forth, and how it's manifest today with um, thinkers who were influenced by Gnosticism, uh, Carl Jung, Philip K. Dick, and uh, so many others. And uh, how it, uh, as I say, it's almost like the world is catching up to what the Gnostics said 2,000 years ago, because the Gnostics really, in the West, Came up with the idea of sort of the simulation theory, or that the world is an illusion. In the East, that's already that was already happening. They kind of got to that red pill a lot farther, but the fir- <clears throat> they weren't the first. You might say that the the first the Matrix, because the Matrix is uh, very much a Gnostic gospel. Was uh, the uh, you might the first version of the Matrix was Plato's allegory of the cave, where you're out there down in the cave and you're tied up and people are they've got a fire and they're putting shadows against the wall and they're telling you this is reality this is everything there is and somehow one guy escapes he leaves the cave he goes outside he goes oh my god this is reality this is nature and he has to come down and tell others that you've been you've been duped by these powers now i know plato kind of meant it as a Allegory for the philosopher, but it's obviously sort of a simulation allegory. But that's really the one time. And then you had the Gnostics who came out and said, uh, Yes, we are living in not even a false reality, but as Gordon White said, a fake reality. It's on purpose created through a code that we've bought into, and our true selves are dormant and asleep, and we're trapped in this illusion ruled by these. Uh, uh, celestial programmers or fate lords called the Archons. And uh, then all of a sudden, this sort of idea, well, the Gnostics got persecuted, stamped out, and throughout history, that's been happening. Again, they've risen throughout time and been persecuted, like with the Cathars, Bogomils. Uh, many of the Sufi traditions have been persecuted. And now in the 21st century, all of a sudden, the idea of a simulated universe, is not only in vogue, but it's actually scientifically sound. If you, I mean, Elon Musk has been banging the drum about it and you've got some great minds like, uh, uh, Neil Ballstrom and others. So that's what I do in my show is, uh, as I, one of my taglines is, uh, I like to bring ancient mysteries to a modern meeting, find out what these ancient mystics did right, what they did wrong. And, uh, how how we can regain some of what they did right so that we can have a, uh, well, I don't even know, better civilization, maybe save civilization at this rate. <laughs> so so that's basically it in a nutshell.
0: Yeah, well, I, I really like the variety of guests you bring on and the deep dives you guys go on. And um, I've just been really enjoying the show of late, which is why I reached out. I was like, hey, we we definitely need to have a conversation with Miguel because, you know, his take on all this stuff and the people he's talking to are just not mainstream. And that's really refreshing. And you've, you've described your show as a red pill cafeteria, which I always laughed at. Um, and some people sort of take issue with the term red pill. I was just talking with, uh, like I said, I was just talking with Mark Steves, and my family thinks I'm crazy. And, uh, he doesn't like the term red pill, but I do <laughs> because it does remind me of the matrix. And it is really what we're talking about is like seeing outside of the simulation. So for you, what does red pill actually mean?
1: Well, I've been using that term, you know, the term before it was a, I think a men's movement term. I was using that when I was just doing this part-time like in 2007 and eight. So I, I was using the term red pill cafeteria and sometimes these days I still use it, but I, sometimes I prefer a red pill suppository because, Everybody's such in a state of thrall and everybody seems so hypnotized and we're all so programmed that it seems you need something right up your ass to sort of wake you up. Uh, and that's what it is. It's what Neo does in the matrix. He takes the red pill and he wakes up to the reality of the world. <clears throat> and, uh, gnosticism waking up is not like you know this wonderful kumbaya where i see the universe and i'm so happy in the circle of life and uh it's no you wake up to see how uh dark and illogical and brittle reality is you really sense the you do sense the the holiness of the world because again neo does see the right people and who's on his side but you do see uh the brutality, the suffering that is in the world. So that's part of the the red pill, if you would. And I know, obviously, that's evolved. Now you have terms like black pill and white pill. And I'm sure there's some other terms. But yeah, I contend, yeah, you have to take the red pill. Then you got to take the black pill. Abandon ye hope, all who come here. And then you take the white pill and everything's lost. And who you are has been destroyed. And a new you and a new possibility comes out and uh hopefully charges into what should be your uh your higher purpose, your sacred mission in this world.
0: George, what do you think about the red pill
2: term? I think it's useful. It conveys uh conveys a certain idea and is a it's a useful medium for expressing that without sort of making it a whole paragraph long. It may at a certain point outlive its usefulness as sort of any sort of label tends to do over time. I mean, just look for example at the you know the phrase liberal and what what's that has entailed from you know 1700 on. It's uh, terms change, and right now I think red pill is a it's a good catch all term to describe a, ho- a sort of whole host of uh, intellectual currents that are happening. And so for the moment, I'm perfectly happy with it, but we shouldn't get too attached to the term because the time may come when it becomes so ubiquitous that it is useless. Mm. And I would ask Miguel, uh, I know the only reason I even arrived at your
0: show was because I wanted to keep getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And at the bottom of all of it, I just started to find patterns and weird religions and spiritual teachings and all this stuff that didn't make sense to me at first. Uh, Aeon Byte actually helped me understand a lot of these things because, you know, I started out as a normie with all this stuff. So I guess generally speaking, like when we talk about Gnosticism, what is that? What is that ex- exactly? Is that a religion, a spirituality, some kind of practice? And why should we be interested in Gnostic texts and, and uh, voices?
1: Well, I would tell your listeners just avoid it. It's not for everybody. A red pill is—it's hard <laughs> because you, you're going to have to abandon who you are and everything you thought was valuable, everything you thought was real. It's something you're going to have to accept. But I, I would call it—I think I would agree with April DeConic. It's not a religion, it's a metaphysical orientation. It's a leaning into certain realities. For example, we talk about the red pill. Gnosticism is an inheritor or it kind of took the baton from the ancient Egyptian mysteries as that was beginning to collapse in uh, Greco-Roman times and late antiquity. And these other movements kind of took this wisdom that was starting to disappear from these Egyptian priests and Hermeticism, Neoplatonism, and all these are sort of cousins of each other. And uh, it's so therefore, it is about altered states of mind. It's about it's shamanistic. It's ecstatic. It's about taking astral flights and seeing the architecture of the universe and what's beyond it. And that, of course, is something that the Egyptians were doing. You know, the Egyptians focused on afterlife, what would happen. The Gnostics and others kind of innovated and stressed that this has to happen now. I mean, many of the Gnostic gospels say, you know, you don't die and become resurrected. You got to be resurrected while alive. If you see Christ, you need to become Christ in the flesh right here. be like him. So it is uh, ecstatic, shamanistic and mystic at its core. But it's also a view that the world, again, is a, a prison, if you would, maybe a prison with gold bars, maybe a prison with black bars. That They argued about that, and people can argue about that all the time, but it's not our true home, and what we are is not true either. We are basically programmed uh, machines that are housing this uh, eternal spark of the divine or this consciousness that has not reached its full potential and we must do these rituals and this contemplation to sort of wake up. Because it's a metaphysical orientation, this means that you can draw from different religions, or you can have different, uh, as the Gnostics call them, uh, Gnostic revealers or apostles of light. Uh, These are figures that not like Jesus came down to die from your sins, but these are figures that come to you with the truth and try to wake you up. And to the Gnostics, that would include Jesus, Mary Magdalene. As they expanded, it would include Buddha to some later medieval Gnostics, Zoroaster, and so forth. And therefore, <clears throat> you can use the ecstatic rituals of a religion You can use their mythology. You can use their even their buildings and their culture to bring it to yourself to create these sort of ecstatic rituals that will awaken you. And that's people have said. Well, the Gnostic seems to be like parasitical. It's like they were attached in Judaism and they were in the they were called the Kabbalists. They were attached in uh, Zoroastrianism and called Mazdakites or Zervanites. They were attached in Christianity and called the Valentinians or the Sethians and so forth and so forth. So it's not that they were parasitical, is that they would, I guess they were, they they basically were the part of the religion that uh, needed, uh, that was interested in an interior journey, that was an ultimate rejection of all the structures of reality and that would use whatever needed to use in a syncretic way to cause these uh, these red pills, if you would.
0: Hmm. George, do you have any thoughts on that?
2: Well, I would say that uh, you take, say, the, the Corpus Hermeticum quite a bit more seriously than I ever would when you sort of look at the, the historical context of what we have that's considered early Gnostic texts. To me, from a, the perspective of a Greek historiographer, it looks to me less like sincere mysticism in terms of many of these things, and more like the perennial theme of overeducated and rich Greeks wanting to uh, essentially cosplay as something special that set them apart from the uh, the common folk. That's the, that's the impression I've gotten from uh, the very limited corpus we have of a lot of the sort of descriptions of actual Gnostic movements, they seem to me less to be actual, sincere spiritual or mystical encounters as just another way for the uh, the rich and overeducated to feel special. Now, what is your perspective on sort of, were these early Gnostic movements actual religious movements?
1: Uh, again, I would call them metaphysical orientation. They were part of the religions that were seeking a inner experience and a uh, higher form of consciousness of uh, as some even i mean there are there is a church father hippolytus and when he's describing the scene which was a gnostic group in the third century he says that their rituals are a dead ringer for the eleusinian mysteries and the the mystery religions as you probably know was again you could say it's pagan, but all religion. You could say Christianity was really a mystery religion. You could say Paul was creating a mystery religion. It's a part of the religion that satisfies a different thirst that some people have, because in most religions, even in Roman times, there was kind of. Well, it's it is that way today in mainstream religions. Okay, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to sacrifice to the gods. I'm going to follow these ten commandments and go about my life, and then when I die, hopefully I've done everything and the gods will take care of me. But the mystery religions, and you would have to include Gnosticism and Hermeticism in that just by their features and, uh, and writings, even though we still don't know much about their rituals in total, you would have to say they, were, they satisfied those who had bigger questions about life, those who wanted to experience the divine, those again who wanted an, a different inner reality and wanted to understand what was behind the veils of reality. So I mean, it will, as we know or little we know about the Eleusinian Mysteries, those who participated were transformed. Uh, one of the features was that they lost their um, <clears throat> they lost their fear of death. And when you lose your fear of death, that's when you're truly alive. Uh, we also know that. Uh, these mysteries, the Eleusinian mysteries, hermeticism and Gnosticism, it was open to everybody. I mean, we have, although they the writings may be with highly educated people, these, uh, these mysteries and these rituals that the Gnostics and Hermetics was open to anybody. In fact, one of the attractive parts is the fact that women were allowed to uh, participate. And in fact, in Gnosticism, women were uh, in hermeticism too, uh, now that I think about it we're allowed to actually be part of the leadership of a church or a ritual. So I would, and of yes, of course you can join and just do it just because you want to look good or, you know, post on your social media two thousand 2000, whatever you, of course there's always going to be those who are just there. But I would say sincerely, these were bona fide mystery religions and certainly detractors from the church fathers, St. <clears throat> Augustine, knew that these were valid religions. They just felt like our religion was the true pathway to God. I mean, many of the church fathers like Irenaeus and Clement of Alexandria said, no, no, no. We believe in gnosis, this spiritual tech with this direct experience with God, but it's our, but we have the right gnosis. We have the right pathway, this mystical path to God, not these heretics over here with their weird rituals that included drugs and sex magic and contemplation and all that so um, yeah I know I'm getting on a tangent here but um, that's all I have to say on that
0: we love tangents over here so feel free <laughs> sometimes
1: you forget the question you're like bah, 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 bah. you're like in the middle of talking and you're like what was the question I better keep talking
0: <laughs> dude that's me and George knows it <laughs> so, I, I did actually I love all that because it's it's a I think it's a totally valid perspective of all of this stuff and I think the the reason um, Gnosticism is such a is such like a hairy topic, is because it does have so many different ways in. So if I got, oh, ask... and I
1: should mention too, yeah, I mean, Gnosticism shows you how fake all the structures of the world are. Your governments, your churches, the gods are all basically demented angels or demons. Hermeticism does that too. It has most people gloss over the dark side of Hermeticism, the evil spirits, the 10 powers that possess each one of us, the bad language about the body and all that. So I don't, I don't know why it it wouldn't be something that would attract your average wine mom or something like that, or, you know, a coastal elite or, you know what I mean? Because it's, it's telling you like Jesus, you know, it's time to turn your back on all that you thought was real is bullshit, your money, your stature, these are all constructs by deficient beings who control the universe. And it's time for you to transcend this.
0: Well, there is an element of uh, of trauma or pain. I don't know how you'd like to characterize it with all this stuff. Whereas I know for me, the only reason I even started investigating any of this and listened to Aeon Bite was because I had uh, some, a couple of really rough years, uh, to put it lightly. And there was a point at which, and George remembers this, where I was like, I don't care. I, I It hurts right now. If it's going to hurt a lot more, I want to go there. I want to know. And so I started doing all this digging, and he even tried to reel me back in a couple of times, which is really funny. Um, but what was it that, um, if I can ask, what was it that led you to start looking into this?
1: Well, it was just uh, all my life I was very curious. Like we talked about there are those who are looking for the higher questions: What is reality? <clears throat> Why is there suffering? Uh, what happens when we die? What is evil? And I was always one of those sort of uh, black sheep people, like we just talked about. So, at some point, you know, beyond playing Dungeons and Dragons, listening to rock and roll, and getting stoned, I started uh, practice. I started embracing other religions. I started reading and going to ashrams and mosques and synagogues and really delving into all these religions and none of them really satisfied me as a person to each his own and Gnosticism really gave me or at least it's close no system is perfect all systems have blind spots and illogical you know cons turns but Gnosticism is the closest that really satisfied my ideas about what the universe was nature of evil suffering and all that and I always liked their very uncompromising, almost punk rock attitude because they just weren't going to compromise. They weren't going to... They they were going to say, no, this place is a construct. It's not home. Uh, We're ruled by these uh, insane beings. And I mean, that's it satisfied me. I guess you could say like, you know, early Buddhism, like Theravada Buddhism was a lot more dualist. It was a lot more intense. It was... uh, And then it kind of, you know, this happens with the religions, right? They start out really, uh, they kind of see the truth of reality, but as they view their audience grows and they got to start making nice with local governments and kings, they start softening their message a little. Oh, it's okay, the universe is fine. Maybe the gods are taking care of our governments, and they they sort of uh, they compromise too much, I bet, and a bit. And I think the Gnostics never compromised throughout history. Uh and therefore that's why they were exterminated. There are some examples of kingdoms becoming Gnostic briefly. In fact, there was a time when the Persian Empire uh was Gnostic for a few years. There, actually there was a time when it was actually it was actually Gnostic for like twenty years. But but for the most part the Gnostics have been on, on their back heels as a minority and often as a persecuted minority.
0: Hmm. Um and is does do you feel like that's a necessary element of it? Like it has to be in rebellion against all the other major religions and philosophies?
1: Well, I mean, what did George Orwell say? Uh, speaking the truth in a time of deceit is a revolutionary act. I mean, I feel that we're all programmed. I feel that we are all uh, live, We are propagandized. I, I feel we've been told lies from the beginning from our parents through our schools, through our government, so that we could all be equal, part of the herd, uh, and don't rock the boat. I mean, I guess as a species, uh, some feel that as humans, we all need to just kind of walk the same walk and talk the same talk. And I feel uh, just telling the truth is uh, should be enough. I mean, as they, bringing back April DeConnick again, she said, most people think that the Gnostics became heretical, but she says they were heretical from the get-go. They were the ones. I'm in an interview. No, no, you're gonna have to wait till I'm done, boy. Okay, sorry, my son. <laughs> asking her, he has a question. It's I'm sure. Um, they were heretical from the get-go because they were the ones saying, "Look, your gods, your temples, your governments, your—they're th- all part of this chain of deceit." That's keeping you from finding your true will, keeping you from finding your true self and becoming who you're meant to be, which is a a divine being, the best version of yourself, a complete human that can heal. So that was that's pretty controversial. And I mean, we can read all the stories we want, whether it's Jesus, Mohammed, it's a minority who starts out telling the truth and then they're crushed by the powers that be that, again, don't want uh, too much of the rocking of the boat got to collect taxes, got to make sure the trains run on time, got to make sure we got seats uh, in schools and temples. So, yeah, that's the way it is. I mean, it's nothing new. We all, there are plenty of stories and movies and novels about this.
0: Well, it's easy to see the effect that mainstream religion and government and state, statism and all the rest have on the population. But how much would you estimate that these mystery religions and or gnostic ideas Mm -hmm. or revolutionary ideas how much would you estimate they actually affect history because it feels like when you notice it it's like oh my god it affects everything in history every story we know has a side that we've never looked at um what would you say to that
1: it's hard to tell i mean one thing that the mystery religions were good at and the gnostics were kind of sort of good at was keeping things secret we don't know much about the rituals we know that figures, philosophers uh, like Plato and Pythagoras were part of the Egyptian mysteries and other emperors and high level people were part of the mysteries. But for the most part, they kept their mouth shut. It just wasn't. Uh, we just don't know. I would say it was very impactful in a positive way. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's, a, it's hard to tell. I mean.
0: No, it's like the black sheep always have this, they sort of live in, they live, right? Somebody notices them and starts screaming, and then it's too late. Good
1: Gnostic, yeah, good Gnostic film. Yeah, Carpenter definitely tapped into his inner Gnostic for that one.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, not They not They Live, what was the other one, though, with with the...
1: Oh, Invasion of the Body snatchers. Invasion of, of the, the body, body Snatchers. Another good Gnostic film, or allegory, if you would. Yeah, because if you are transformed, whether you're... Jesus coming back from the desert or Muhammad coming out of the cave, cave after he talked to Gabriel or Moses when he comes back to Egypt you're going to be again on your heels you're going to be in the minority even though you know or you are bringing some important truth that will ultimately help the tribe help humanity uh yeah the, it's the way the universe is constructed it's almost it's built built to destroy individuality or uh, innovation or artistic expression
0: george did you have any questions because i could just keep rolling
2: (laughs) oh uh one thing i was curious about and i i apologize apologize if this sort of comes off as as hostile questioning i don't intend it to i'm curious as to what the um what is the point of sort of attaching this this uh this worldview to The name of gnosticism since as you know what we know about gnosticism is filled with question marks and gaps we have scraps of coptic we have quotes that are almost certainly taken out of context from works of the greek fathers the actual reality of gnosticism in history is filled with a lot more questions than answers and the why sort of revive the the name of something that we don't really know what they were actually doing and from the historical perspective were sort of the the losers in the in the grand scheme of things yeah. if this uh because as you as you know the uh, not only is it a big lacuna in terms of a lot of the facts but it's also a very disparate sort of spectrum because while you have the more uh i guess what you would call serious transcendental approaches to things in gnosticism you also we have evidence of things that really just look kind of silly uh, the sort of word games and puzzles that was supposed to encode the uh, the gnosis and things like that and the, that's especially the type of thing to me that makes it seem like sort of a sort of a diversion or a pursuit rather than a uh, a real spiritual movement in many cases so why why attach the name gnosticism to what you're doing well, I would say the idea
1: of secret codes and metaphor, that that's definitely a middle platonic thing. It's not something that ne- i yeah,
2: yeah, the neoplatonists. Me- or middle, plat-
1: middle, middle platonism really started that in Neoplaton Yeah, it
2: they was just, with it, yeah. it's what
1: you did today. It's like, you know, people watch David Lynch and suddenly everybody does a David Lynch vibe. It's just, it really was, it was really part of the culture. Um. And the idea of using puns and little tricks like that, you find that in the New Testament. There is a lot of words that scholars have said that are fun puns that the uh, authors of the New Testament, it's what you did back then. And we do it too. I mean, you read a good work of literature or something and uh, an author will have three different meanings to what, or a song lyric, I mean, it's just uh, it's um, really nothing radical. I don't think the Gnostics were trying to be secretive. In fact, here's the deal: is the Gnostic people like Irenaeus and Epiphanius, Hippolytus, the early church fathers, the heresy hunters, interacted with the Gnostics? Uh, Plotinus, the great Neoplatonic philosopher, was he called the Gnostics? They were his friends. They were his pupils in the university. And he had huge issues with them. He let them know, you know, he thought that they were too dark, they were too dependent on Persian mythology, they hated too much the world, and there's even one part where, and he's also kind of jealous because he's realized they were having more success at the time than he was, and he was like a rock star in the Roman Empire, but they would say something like the, the Gnostics would be like, you know, we need more social justice, more like money for the poor and this and that and it's this empire is really unfair and Plutonius is like well don't let the door hit you where the gods split you you know it's the it's <laughs> way so he had arguments so these church fathers were embedded and in interacting with the gnostics Epiphanius says he had a sex magic ritual one of these groups in alexandria so but of course you're wondering are these polemics uh how can we trust them and for centuries nobody knew if what was really going on? Because you've got these church fathers quoting it, and you're like, man, he's quoting these really psychedelic weird stuff because they were describing their visions. They were having these flights and they were seeing these almost Lovecraftian beings and universes of light. And people were like, Man, these church fathers were just making shit up. But the discovery of certain Gnostic texts in the late 19th century, like the Pista Sophia, Gospel of Mary, and a few other plus the discovery of the Nag Hammadi library in 1945 suddenly kind of supported what these church fathers have been saying for, you know, almost 2000 years, because Irenaeus might quote the gospel of Thomas and the secret book of John or the gospel of Judas. And suddenly you're looking at the Nag Hammadi library. You know what? He wasn't lying. He was actually, he really was telling the truth. And sometimes, scholars know there is some exaggeration about what they were doing and there were polemics and it's kind of the usual polemics that people have used against the jews throughout time you know killing babies and black magic it's kind of the the same kind of uh formula to slander your opponent but for the most part i think they got it right and the nagamari does kind of support it but There's still a lot to know. I mean, there are scholars who believe that the term Gnosticism is not useful. There are other scholars say, yeah, no, we can find a sort of core to Gnosticism and we can work with it. But as um, scholar Dan McClellan said, he said two things which are very, I think, very wise. He said, the map is not the territory. All models are wrong, but some models are useful. We don't know the truth at the end of the day. We'll never know what Jesus and the early Christians were doing truthfully or what other religions or the Gnostics. were creating models about what happened based on a few texts and writings, and we're just doing the best we can. And I think the Gnostic model is useful, but at the end of the day, until we can invent a time machine, we're just demonstrating what these ancients were doing
0: yeah I like how you characterize it as useful. That's one major question I ask about all these weird things is does it work? and Mark Steves and I were just talking about this, and you know we were talking about skull and bones and all these weird you know cultic practices and I was like, for the longest time, I'm like, why would they do that? And then the question simply comes down to does it work? Does it produce the kind of person uh that you want at the end of the process? And I guess um I had a question i I don't even know how to bring it up (laughs) but what's your opinion on the npc meme
1: you know that's come that's been a question in the last three podcasts that has come about and i have to face it right um first i would say because you wonder when you do the simulation theory you have one am i the guy playing the rpg game or am i an npc is this guy an npc i mean it's kind, of a, it's kind of a fun, scary thing. In fact, in my last, uh, one of my last ayahuasca rituals that I did with Santo Daime, which is a Christian mystic church, very Gnostic, as I'm talking about on my show and other places, but I saw everything as a machine. I was like, I got into this astral flight and everything's a machine created to trap one being. And as I was doing this astral flight for like an hour, oh my God, it was kicking my ass. I was like, I need to look at my hands. Cause if I look at my hands, I'm sitting there in the ritual, we're all meditating on ayahuasca. And I'm like, if I look at my hands, I'm going to find out two things. Either I'm going to look at my hands and they're flesh and I'm the person trapped in this machine. Or I'm going to look at my hands and they're robotic and I'm an NPC. you know, like this <laughs> guy, like Westworld, you just got, you know, they cut their arms open and they're like, I'm a robot. So, and I, I would not look at my hand for the rest of the evening until I came down from the ayahuasca. But that's the oh. question that's asked and the Gnostics had the same. They said it was really like a choice because they talk about three types of people, the spiritual man, and they get this from the Apostle Paul who talks about this, the natural man, the, but they had the spiritual man, the psychic man, which is, and then the material man who's just an animal who just go back to dirt. But the Gnostics never said it's set in stone or do you transfer although in some it does say that uh in the secret book of john jesus just says it's a choice if you want to keep reincarnating and you don't want to turn to the light and every life you want to just think about sex and drugs and your iphone and all that then you're choosing to become completely unconscious and part of temporal matter and that's it you've made a choice um for the NPC, I even told another host, I said, you know, there was a time I was an MPC. I bought into the uh, official narrative of the world. I thought, oh, I'm going to get a job, work nine to five. I'll have some kids, go to church on Sundays. Uh, I might watch some football. I might read a science fiction novel, watch movies on Fridays, go out to dinner. And for years, I was basically an MPC, just completely unconscious about the world. I mean... If you had come, some spiritual guy had come to me, it would have been like, go away. But, um, so good question. It's kind of a serious question.
0: It is. I, I know like for me, I had one specific red pill. I'm no longer an NPC moment. And it was really simple. I've told George about it and I probably said it on the show a few times, but it was when I started noticing potholes. I was like, don't we have some kind of infrastructure to fix these? Why are these here? These have been here for years. Why is I-65 still under construction? What is going on? And that was the first time I was like, perhaps our tax dollars aren't going where they're supposed to go. Yeah. And that was what sort of zon- zapped me out of it. I mean, I'm, I don't know if you had a moment like that. that
1: you- well, in Illinois, you're going to have those like every day because it's such yeah. a disaster of a state. It's just, yeah. ugh. It's like, doesn't anybody, sometimes I go, does anybody notice how pathetic our government is and how corrupt our politicians are. I mean, it's like, am I taking crazy pills here? Is it, but
0: yeah, I mean, it's like you'd have to be crazy to not notice it at a certain point. I mean, yeah, I lived yeah. in—I've lived in Chicago, Austin, New York—and it took me to living in all three places to even notice that something was wrong. Like, why don't we have this fixed up? You know? <laughs>
1: yeah, Just... yeah. I mean, is Illinois is the only state where you have no idea why you're being charged for your, uh, your, uh, your estate, your house, what do you call it? Your living, your home taxes. Uh, you have no idea. Some places you got to pay 4,000 a year. And then across the street, the guy pays a thousand and nobody knows why you ask real estate agents. Why are my house taxes? And nobody knows. It's a complete collective insanity, which makes <laughs> no sense. Yeah.
0: It's brutal, but it's things like and that. And if they fool
1: us with these things, you don't think they can fool us with the larger things that people are so easy, and we just kind of go along, and we go, "Oh, yeah, it's crazy, but I'll still keep paying into the system." I'll, you know, they can. Of course, they're going to do it with the bigger things. You'd be insane not to do it if you're a bond villain or a politician. <laughs> no, take them, for, take them for all their money, their soul, everything. Just take it, take
0: it. Well, I know the last six, seven years have been extremely, for me, informative. I've been studying the NPC mind from the outside. And, uh, oh my gosh, just the la- especially the last six, seven years have been like, okay, I believe in NPCs now, uh, and they're everywhere. <laughs> and they're scary in a way sometimes.
1: Yeah, yeah, fear is a mind killer. Uh, people will conform if they become afraid. Uh, people don't want to rock the boat. We are a species that believes in the herd. And we do believe that if we all go together, everything will be fine. Everything will be safe. And that's 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 humanity. for That's always been humanity. That's Nothing really has changed except we're kind of on the brink of mass psychosis and mass destruction, which hasn't probably happened in a long time
0: um george did you have any thoughts or should i just keep pushing
2: how no, does keep going i'm uh i'm just hovering <laughs>
0: well we, we we're we're glad you're here nonetheless but uh i'd like to ask you about that so we're on the brink of some sort of cataclysm you think
1: well i think it's more as i said mass psychosis i think people are in an extreme amount of pain and anxiety and fear, and it's really it's affecting everybody. I mean, I always crack up when I hear you hear like Jordan Peterson and some oh this is the best time, more people have been raised out of poverty and this and that and yeah okay that's a good point. It's great to see countries like India and other that are really coming up and life is good. But I think when you look at uh, the amount of uh, alcoholism drug addiction suicide mental illness we are hitting states that have never been hit before it's it's amazing and we as a as a psyche as a collective psyche the west is definitely cracking big time and it's a horrible thing to say i don't i don't like to see npcs in pain i really feel sorry when i see people having meltdowns on social media or talking to people It, it breaks me because you don't need to be that way. It's it's an illusion. Your most of these things are being implanted in you, and you are true. If you can find your individuality, who you are, you have an amazing adventure. Each one of us has an amazing destiny to fulfill, to sort of bring harmony to the universe. That's there's no doubt in my mind about this. So it's uh it makes me yeah it does definitely make me sad because it doesn't have to be
0: that way. Mm. Yeah, I feel the same way. Um, it does, it once you're out of it though, once you're out of the NPC cycle, and once you've sort of taken that black pill and you can embrace the white pill, um, you know, I, I have boundless optimism about the future. Uh, but for about a year, I was like, oh, we got to do something. This is completely out of hand. <laughs> and then at a certain point, I started to see it all as a process um, where I sort of recognized that if it it's happening to me and it's happening to you know people close to me like one thing i like to say to give some contrast is at the beginning of covid my parents watched the news and didn't know what a podcast was at the end of covid they were listening to podcasts and didn't watch the news and they couldn't Uh, get enough good
1: for them good for them
0: yeah and you do you would never expect to see it but it's like it's a it's a beautiful thing because it's just like hey there's always hope and um, the, you know one other question i've I've been asking all the podcasters we've been having on, particularly, I brought it up to Mark. Um, is where do you see podcasting fitting in with this with this information warfare we're dealing with?
1: I would say it's definitely been a very positive thing. I think uh, podcasting is certainly a huge threat to the establishment because it's still the the wild West. You have an RSS feed. And there are so many there are millions of podcasts. you really can't control it, and it really is uh, it's really controlled by the audience. So they have not been able to put that uh, lightning in the bottle, if you would. So there is a reason this is the golden age of podcasts. Some of, I mean more people they say now listen to podcasts and go on Google. Uh, I think we <clears throat> this is for good news, yeah, last year was the first time that Google was not the number one site. I think it's, it was displaced by, I know it was TikTok, but when you start seeing more people are listening to podcasts and doing other alternative media, it's certainly, uh, you want a society that is more uh, diverse in that way, diversity of choices and ideas. So I think, uh, I think it should continue going pretty well until, unless, I mean, even if Apple went crazy. There are already so many different platforms that are alternative, and these platforms, whether it's Rumble or Rockfin or others, are really growing by leaps and bounds. Uh, yeah, it's definitely a good time. I always say everybody needs to have a, a podcast. Uh, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, it was like it was a blog, right? Everybody had a blog and wrote and It was kind of a very cool time for exchanging ideas and that went away and podcasting is even better because it's so much faster and it can reach so many people even faster than a blog or something like that. So, uh, and I always tell people approach it not as, you'll find your tribe, you'll find your audience, but reach it as a, uh, take it as you're finding your own voice. You know, you are finding who you are. It's a tool of self-knowledge because as you talk to people as you balance all these ideas you're going to find out more about yourself and where you fit in the world if you're honest and earnest and you're you're working hard and you really believe in communicating and sharing whatever ideas you have passion about it should go pretty well um yeah
0: well one thing I, i like to say is that the uh The pursuit of the truth is noble even if you'll never find it you'll never find the bottom just searching for it changes your mind into something that's less of a you know a a mind slave and more of a weapon and it takes some courage to be able to get out there and say some uncomfortable things Um, and that's why I appreciate your show so much and one thing you do underline frequently is how important it is to support podcasts that you like and you know people hear that and they hear as if you're advertising for something it's like you know the only reason we can do this as frequently as we do is because of the support of patrons and people who subscribe which is why you know i put my money where my mouth is and got an a on Byte subscription because i was like not only do i want this extra information this is a voice that needs to be heard um there's so many more other questions i want to ask but i do want to be sensitive to your time um george did you have anything you wanted to get in i
2: know i'm still sort of uh ruminating over, uh... What you guys were saying about this sort of social cataclysm that seems seems well underway, and it just made me think about the way um, with the NPCs as we've talked about that there seems to be a sort of choice that people are confronted with, and they uh, they either end up veering towards some mode of spirit, sort of spiritualism, some something that provides some sort of transcendental uh, <laughs> underpinning, or they veer into some sort of crass materialism uh, which they usually think is nihilism and isn't because nobody actually knows what that is um but it's interesting that uh, over the past few years i feel like more and more people are trending towards the spiritual side of things looking for a uh, a worldview if you could call it a, a Weltenschwang that allows them to sort of make sense of the very obvious and at this point undeniable downfall of civilization which we're seeing around us and i think that that's probably a a hopeful thing that less people seem to be just sort of shrugging their shoulders and deciding they're nihilists now and more people are sort of looking for answers um my own uh my own sort of personal interest in uh in nietzsche always made me very very uh disgruntled to see the way his uh his works have been used and abused by angsty teenagers in the West for the past fifty years. Um, I'm reminded of something that the 20th century theologian uh, De Lubac said about Nietzsche, which was that uh, Nietzsche saw the divine sun setting over Europe, but he did not hail the coming night as a triumph. And I think that's where a lot of people are sort of starting starting from, whereas they're seeing the the divine sun or whatever you want to call it setting. They're seeing things crumbling around them but i think finally a lot more people are starting to wake up and not just accept that as well you know the idols have finally been cast down we're finally going to have our age of rationalism they're now starting to ask well what's behind the idols what is the what is the underpinning of reality if it wasn't those idols and so i think and i think the podcasting is yeah, an important sort of medium by which people are able to spread, spread their, their ideas and discuss them in a an actual legitimate free discourse of ideas, which is something that has long been expelled from the university system.
1: I think what you just said is really well said. I guess my only caveat is, yeah, we can say that materialism and scientism is dead. It's done its damage. It left its imprint in the 20th century. <laughs> uh, but I think but <clears throat> nature abhors a vacuum, and I think people are thirsting, for again, like you said a, a healthy metaphysic. I think the human brain is wired to uh, be mystical, to have a religion. As I yeah, say, one hundred
2: percent. Human, human beings
1: don't. We don't. Facts don't move us. Stories, patterns, myths is what move us. I think that's the huge mistake of materialism. Somebody can tell us something and we'll ignore it. But if we watch a good movie oh, I get that. This is the message I need to get. It's and just...
2: Now we've we've circled back around to your mention of Carl Jung in the beginning.
1: Right. Exactly. And Joseph Campbell and Mercia Ili- Iliade and all oh, those guys. Oh, you, you know God. Iliade? Of course yeah, he yeah, does, yeah. George.
2: <laughs> I don't know. I don't expect people to, to know who I'm talking about if I mention Iliade. <laughs> <laughs> what was that
0: book you sent me by him? I forgot. Was it The Old Man and the something? Oh, yeah, what?
2: What is it called? Yeah, his his short it was, story.
0: It was about that. It was about an old man dealing with prison guards and soldiers and things by telling yeah, in, them in communist stories. Romania. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's fantastic, and I don't know much about the author, so I'm not advocating for everything he says. But that was exactly demonstrative of what we're talking about here. What gets people moving is stories. It's music. It's something deeply yeah. human. And, yeah,
1: and Nietzsche saw that too. The aesthetic. I mean, he saw. All these things, but I think the problem is nature abhors a vacuum, and we're starting we are seeing these mass religious movements, but they're not satisfying people. I don't know the solution. you guys let me know because, for example, when you had the the George Floyd issue as always, i I stood back. I like to be an anthropologist. Obviously, it was a horrific, you know, religious execution or human sacrifice, I would say. But the way, 2020 BLM and everything—it had all the underpinnings of a religion. You know, people were worshiping at the shrine. They were having visions. The marches seemed something out of a yeah, a religious thing. It—it it was a religion, a temporary religion. It sort, of, it sort of went away. And I got it. You know, people were trying to cancel me because I was trying to explain this is a Let this is how we need to approach it. Understand why these young people. Are embracing it and part of it yeah they want justice but the other part of it is we can ha- be part of an egregore a metaphysical movement uh, we have you know as uh um what's his name uh, gerard said we don't in the west we don't create our gods we deify our victims Whether well, jesus is a perfect example and george floyd <clears throat> perfect example the the founder of uh, Tibetan Buddhism was a criminal. I mean, you start looking at religions around the world, you realize, yeah, we like to make our villains or our, our outlaws or our prisoners into our gods. I don't... Maybe it has to do with the trickster archetype, but anyway. So the George Floyd thing was a religion, and then it kind of just evaporated. I mean, you wonder, well, nothing really came about it, except this sort of mass mysticism that we had, but then COVID, if you look at COVID, you go, wait a second, this has all the features of a religion on both sides. And Trump, Trump's another perfect example. Trumpism. It does and at least Trumpism doesn't take itself seriously. It enjoys the big bombastic mythologies and goofiness and you know suspending disbelief. But it is sort of a religion. So you're seeing this coming up again and again and again. And so you're wondering, well, what is the What's the right way where we can get a, you said a, a metaphysical movement, a uh, Joseph Campbell said, we need a new myth, something that could bring us together and bring sort of a collective peace and understanding and dialogue with people instead of these sort of fragmentary mystery religions that keep popping up every six months or a year. So
0: well, a new so...
1: Elvis. We need a new Elvis. <laughs>
0: oh, <no. laughs> oh, man. Uh, that's, that that's I was an excessively good rant there, gentlemen. Well done. Um <laughs> uh I I I'm not even sure 100% where to take it. I have to agree with you though. There's a structure out there, a metaphysical structure of religion that people expect to see. And when they don't have it and all their all their gods are dead and all their leaders are worthless, it's like where do we go? And I was saying it from the beginning. It's like it's there's so much chaos right now that it appears That they're trying to bring someone out uh, out, either out of the public or in the state or somewhere else to make it all make sense again and I feel like you know not to sound like a not to sound like a conspiracy guy but you know that comes up every now and then but it does feel like they're kind of out there like raking the leaves trying to find a Stalin or a Hitler in there somewhere and that kind of freaks me out because having seen how many people got behind you know fill in the blank thing over the last seven six seven years um you know it started with the ice bucket challenge and the oddly colored dress meme that was going around people just like we got to do this thing and get behind it because it's the right thing to do it's like an empathy hijack uh maybe you could offer well, it
1: started, it started even before remember people already forget Obama had a very feverish messianic vibe to him when he was running. I mean, he was the, the savior of the, the world thought he was the savior of the universe. And, you know, as soon as he was president, it all came down crashing. It was just another bureaucrat who didn't do much. Same with Trump, same with all these things, but uh, yeah, we're so, we're so fragmented. It's hard to keep it again. The bl I'm all for, uh, getting rid of the war on drugs, defunding the, pol- you know, I mean, the things that would transform Chicago into a real city, the war on wow. drugs and the over-militarized police, all that. I'm all for that, but it just went away. In fact, it it kind of worked backwards. It seems, the, you know, the, the authorities have more power. The cities are more screwed. People, are, you know, uh, minorities and, are <laughs> in more danger than ever. It's like, what and happened? the stock it got worse.
2: prices of Raytheon and Lockheed Martin went up.
1: <laughs> thank you yes yes yeah it's like what the hell happened i mean yeah two billion dollars of damage to american businesses you know black people lost thousands of their business i mean it's it's i mean if there are archons they're pretty ingenious they, they knew how to work it to make it to make everything go their way i mean even last year <laughs> when uh, biden said oh we're gonna pull out of afghanistan i call my brother Within a year, there's going to be a war. I don't know how it's going to happen, but there's going to be a war because, like you said, Raytheon needs its missiles sold. So somehow, somehow, and you can say, well, it's Putin's fault or Biden's, no. It's almost like it's written in the stars.
0: Yeah. Well, that's kind of how I feel sometimes, which is why I was attracted to Aeon Byte to begin with. But I think uh, since we want to wrap this, round this out, I've got like, I think two major questions left, if that's all right with you. Sure, sure. Um, so first of all, I have a clip from your show that I save because it was the first time I laughed out loud. Um, <laughs> you were talking with, I, th- I think his name was Alex or something like that. And you said there, Oh, there's an old Zoroastrian saying that evil eventually becomes stupid. Yeah. And that was brought up recently on your show. I wondered, could you expand on that a little bit? Why does that happen? Because I feel like we're watching it right now.
1: Yeah. Well, we're definitely watching it. I mean, the bag of tricks is kind of getting, I mean, the Cold War, didn't we already do that once? And the sort of repetitive, tired old tropes. I mean, you see politicians trying to bring this stuff, like you talk, create a new religion, bring loyalty and Satan, and it's just failing. It sounds dopey and fake now that they talk about it. I mean, it, it always, yeah, evil eventually runs out. It has no imagination. It has to tap into fear has to tap into some stories but eventually they just keep repeating it they don't get creative it's just uh it just doesn't work it reminds me of um what was the uh in 1984 there's this weird scene where uh, o'brien is talking to winston and he's like look at me look at me and winston's like uh you know he's being tortured he said i'm getting old the cell, you know, eventually I'm going to die. And it's a very weird speech. Like, what does it have to do with anything? And I think whenever you have authoritarian regimes or movements, you start out with the true believers. But as the time goes, the cells get older. The, the ideas don't resonate. You saw that in the Soviet Union. After Stalin, the next regime was a little bit softer and a little bit softer. And by the 80s, People weren't even listening to the Communist Party. So <clears throat> evil does get old, and it does get stupid. So that's a good thing, I yeah, think.
0: For sure. I mean, we've covered uh, several regimes that ended in the stupid, the stupid fashion, such as uh, Nikolai Ceausescu. That was one we covered a while back. And that was like, this guy's building the biggest palace in the world, and people are starving on the steps this is stupid and all that's a
1: romanian guy yeah Yeah, yeah. giving the speech and his wife is trying to shut and yeah yeah
2: that's
1: but that's a classic one i mean there is hope i mean that's an example when people said fuck you uh we forget uh valenza in poland he came out of nowhere and he changed the world there are instances where we can change and overthrow and change the course of history but it's not always CIA or, or or the rich are financing a revolution or something like that. It can be organic. So it's a good thing.
0: Well, just to bring it back to podcasting, I mean, the thing that kicked off the whole Romanian revolution was literally one videotape. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like, it's sometimes that simple, which is why I think what we do is really important and why listeners, it's important to support podcasts that you like. Give them all five-star reviews if you have, to. I mean, anything yeah. you can do to support. Uh, because that's the way we we can bring about positive change. I mean, if there's enough voices crying out in the wilderness soon enough, we're not in the wilderness anymore <laughs> no, no, no
1: we're we're our voice will bring it all crashing down, yeah
0: mm-hmm. well, uh George, last shot.
2: you got anything? No, I think i've uh think I've had my my questions answered,
0: okay, well, I've got one more uh, just one. No problem so what what is uh what is the deal what is the dealio you might say what is the dealio with attacking masculinity and femininity these days? Um, it's a just for fun question, you know you can answer it in thirty seconds
1: well, I think well it's a, you know i'm going to be very
0: complicated
1: and mythological with this answer uh, <clears throat> I think once upon a time you needed something called civilization to rise you needed roads you needed agriculture you needed slavery and you and to do this you needed to lean on left brain thinking you needed to lean on the solar powers. marduk is a great example as some have said the god of uh, the hebrew bible is not yahweh but he's actually marduk is the god of order and time saturn chronos and this god Humanity decided to, this is the direction we have to go in. Again, so we can have agriculture, the trains are on time, uh, we have roads paved and all that. But to do that, you had to suppress the powers of chaos. Marduk had to kill Tiamat. Tiamat is chaos. She is a lunar. She is a female power. So therefore, the female side, the anima that Jung would talk to, had to be suppressed and women are always attached to nature. That always goes with it. So if women are suppressed, then it's then nature will be suppressed and vice versa. That's the kind of direction humanity took. So um, I think we are at a time where we need to bring back and I talk a lot about it in this podcast, we need to bring back the God. I don't care. I don't believe in this smash the patriarchy bullshit. I just believe we need to bring back the anima, the lunar powers, the the water, we need to bring back Tiamat to balance it out so that the solar powers don't overcompensate. And I think that the powers that be have gotten kind of smart, that it's inevitable. So therefore, it's a good thing to muddy the waters. And why don't we simply cuck the solar powers? The male, the the animus will make men. Then if there's a union, it's all going to be this big soupy thing and we can still manipulate the world. We can still suppress nature and we can still have our civilization. But now men are sort of uh, kind of lost their way. And I know uh, I've had guests that talk about the the andro- androgynous power, that it's bad, and that's what we're getting to. I disagree, I, although I think anything can be weaponized. But I would agree that the andro- androgyne power is a good one, but it can be weaponized, like anything can be weaponized. So that's what I would say where we're at with the male and the female and all that. So it's not easy, but all of us have an anima and an anima, so we just need to find it within a unit, you know, unify it in a metaphysical way and then find our place where we're going to be in this world as a man or a woman or whatever.
0: Well, in, uh, in the interest of wrapping this up on time, I want to give you, uh, Miguel, an opportunity to send a message to the world, something positive, perhaps maybe a reason you're still hopeful because there is one thing i have liked about aeon bite and that is it's not it's a it's a dark dive sometimes but it's never a black pill and i think proof of this is that you start almost every episode with like a really motivating like badass montage <laughs> uh that my brother and i we were driving to see some friends one time we we just we were like we'll put on the best of miguel's opening montages and we were driving through chicago and it was like oh thank god like Something nice amid all of these billboards for strippers and weed. <laughs>
1: oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> dystopia. Yeah. I call Chicago the lawful dystopia. It really is. Ugh. God, something positive. I think. Uh, I mean, in the mystery religions and in the Gnostic religion rituals, you d- you do go down into hell. And then you go up into heaven. And it reminds me. I think I don't know if you've seen Jacob's Ladder, where the guy is saying, uh, "I was in hell," and the guy's giving him a massage, and he says, "No, no, no, no." As Eckhart said, the Ma- Meister Eckhart, those demons aren't bad. They're good. They're t- they're they're destroying your false self, so that if and if you let go, you can let go of all your dead weight, and you will come down to to uh, to heaven. So I would tell your listeners that it really is part of the process, the black pill and the white pill. So any sort of um, any sort of pain that you have, any sort of anxiety, any sort of depression, it's those demons speaking to you. Jung would say it's your soul speaking to you. It's telling you, you're not listening to me. You're holding on to too much. I'm communicating with you, not because I want to hurt you, but be, it's the blockage that's hurting you. It's you blocking the communication of depression, anger, anxiety. That's what's bringing pain, not the actual thing, because depression, anxiety, all that, that's just communication. It's your soul. It's the demons. It's it's telling you something that you need to listen to and pivot to. And it usually means a change in your life and your worldview But if you listen well through introspection, meditation, therapy, whatever works for you, creating art, then it all vanishes and you will find yourself as a renewed being. And I think that's a a message I think everybody should listen to. And as I always say, we all have an amazing destiny. Maybe it's not what our ego wants because our ego wants stupid things. (laughs) I want more money. I want a bigger house, things that – in the in the large in eternity are kind of they're nothing they don't exist but it has a great mission for you so i would say yeah definitely listen to your soul definitely listen to who you are because what you are is greater than all the constructs of the world as uh, terry pratchett said we are where the fallen angel meets the rising ape we are the Hermeticists, we are the caretakers of the cosmos, so we are here to do something amazing. As William Blake said, our imagination is what gives meaning to this coal mechanistic universe, and it's, some, it's what makes the universe a better place, and we are all creators. I think there's a saying I always say, um, I don't know who said it, uh, and forgive me, but uh, an artist is not a special type of person. Every person is a special type of artist, so... I would say that's sort of the the white pills I would, uh, I would give to you. And even uh, one of the best advice I ever got from a union, uh, he said, whenever you feel really bad or depressed, even suicidal, it, it, your ego gets confused because it thinks it's your body that needs to die. You need to kill yourself. You need to do more drugs or drink more. No, no, no. The message is that your worldview needs to die. You've been holding on to the wrong worldview. Even Tony Robbins, Mr. New Age, always says your beliefs are are what are fucking you up. And you know what? You can change your beliefs. You're not going to die or turn into a puff of smoke if you change your beliefs. Who your authentic self is still going to be there. Your friends, your loved ones will still know who you are. But you can change your beliefs. You can change your worldview. And then you don't you don't you can live very well, you can live in harmony, so that's sort of my little pep talk here.
0: I like it well, uh Miguel, it's been an honor having you on the show. We appreciate your time and uh your insight um uh, George, did you want to say anything in closing?
2: Oh, uh, let's see i was uh, actually I was a little bit curious um how do you go about a researching on the the ancient Gnostic stuff since as we talked a little bit about it's very hard to uh, to know what you're even looking at since so much of it's fragmentary and what do, how have you sort of done your own research and looking at that sort of material ah uh, god
1: I would say you read the latest books April Deconic, the Gnostic New Age David Bracky, the Gnostics there's some good scholarly books but I would always say have a point of reference that's artistic to really crystallize. For example, I was reading the Nag Hammadi Library. I was reading the commentaries, and I was like, this makes no sense. I mean, these guys are like on they're on acid or LSD. <laughs> and then I picked up Philip K. Diggs' Valet, and I went, holy shit, now I get it. And it just made complete sense. So, Or I remember also reading Grant Morrison's The Invisibles. Have some sort of Again, we're talking about human beings and facts and stories. Have some sort of perspective about how things are. uh, And it will really open your mind to it. Watch The Matrix, uh, read Philip K. Dick, try to understand Jung's ideas. Have, again, something that that sense, uh, that point which gives you, will help you understand, uh, especially as a modern mind and so forth. And everything makes makes a lot more sense. And, of course, practice altered states of mind, uh, you know.
0: Great. You know, I think that's some pretty good advice and sounds like a nice place to start. Of course, I say the best place to start is a on byte podcast. But <laughs> <I> <laughs>
1: well, I've been be... doing it for so long. It's like I need to do like a 101 course on Gnosticism and then I never get around to it. It's like I am so due. But what are you going
2: to do? Of hey, course, maybe... as, a, as I'm professionally obligated to say, my, my advice for the best place to start would be, you know, learning Coptic. Uh, so the, <laughs> so the, you don't have to rely on somebody else's translation of things, but that's that's a pretty big first step. So it's a yeah, big, yeah, yeah. and that's one thing I I do not know Coptic. I know Greek, do not know Coptic. So I'm reading yeah, yeah. what I'm able to look at on my own.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So, and then uh, obviously there are many texts. Some of the Gospels are in Greek. You've got mm-hmm. the Manicheans who are writing in Persian. You've got obviously the Kabbalah which could take you 20 years. to. I mean, the Zohar is one of the most dense, large, monstrous books. It's like, imagine how many years you could spend on the Zohar.
0: (laughs) I can imagine it would be centuries. Well, on on that note, um, I'd like to say thank you once again for appearing on We Talk About Dead People. We have a way of ending the show if you'd like to participate. Sure. So what we typically do is I say, uh, that should be it for now, or I say, what is it I say? It's like, uh, wh- with all that being said, we'll close out and let the sound of blank play you out. So if I say we'll let the sound of something play you out, you get to pick. How does that sound?
1: And what's the sound? You will actually play the sound?
0: I'll find something that fits the mix.
1: All right. All with right. that, i let the sound of uh, Elvis Presley's Burning Love finish it up.
0: <laughs> right on Dude,
2: you're okay this one real fucking ugly oh.
0: you see i take these glasses off she looks like a regular person doesn't she huh put them back
1: on formaldehyde face that's what that's we got that's enough out of you you get out or I call the cops. Call the cops? You know what you need? You need a Brazilian plastic surgeon.
2: I've got one that can sing. You can see live
0: behind. Like a sweet song of the fire.
1: You like my morning sky, burning up. Woo-hoo-hoo, I feel my temperature rising. There's a famous zoroastrian saying that i keep saying over and over again it says evil eventually becomes stupid and i think old zarathustra was 100 percent right uh, they overplay their hand they get lazy they get stuck with the same marketing uh, campaigns and people eventually get smarter
2: Flowers and a Volkswagen Beetle with a dented breathe. fender. Truman, look, lady, flowers. I did that? I'll tell you. On a loop. they go around the water. They come back. They go around again. They just go around and run. You know, I invited Rita and Marlon for a barbecue on Sunday. I'm going to make my potato salad. You. And I need you to remind me that we need more charcoal. Are you
0: listening to a word I'm
2: saying.